Well, as uh, Ryan said, this is a time in the Word, uh, in the, the Word of God, and I love the way that the Word speaks about the way that the Word of Lord of the Lord works. Uh, in fact, that the Bible speaks often about how the Bible works, about how the Word of the Lord, the Gospel, the message of Christ, how it actually works. Hebrews four verse twelve says, "The Word of, of God is living and active." It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow. That is, the Word of God is able to reach deep down into all of our souls, way deep down into our hearts and convict us of sin, far deeper than any surgeon could reach with his scalpel because the Word of God cuts deep into our spiritual being. Psalm 19, verse 7 says that the law of the Lord is perfect. That is, the Word of God is perfect. And one of the things it does, it says it revives the soul. That is, it gives us life. It is able to take a dead soul from darkness to give us dead soul, to give a, a living life to a soul. The Word of, of, of God is, is able to make you wise unto salvation. That's what Paul told Timothy through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and it does this, the Word of God does this by, by making us be born again, right? Peter speaks to the, the scattered believers. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of the imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. It is the Word of God that, that stirs in us, that causes us to be born again, First Peter 1, 3. It, it's God's Word that is powerful. It's the way that God's Word works. And whenever and wherever the Word of God is read or spoken or preached, it accomplishes all that God has purposed. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For us the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Right? Just as rain falls and makes green grass, and just as snow falls in the mountains and provides for all the river valleys which, which build up all the reservoirs and, and gives us water for life. Just as it does that, God says this, Isaiah fifty five eleven. So shall my word that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And, and, and that purpose may be salvation. As the word goes out and lands in the heart of a sinner who sees his sin or his or her sin and repents, turns from that sin and trusts in Christ. That word may go out for salvation. That, that word may go out for sanctification. As there may be a, a believer who is, who is wayward in an area or, or two and, and that word comes and convicts in the heart. And, and, and the believer then turns from that and seeks a, a fresh walk in the ways of the Lord. Uh, another uh, purpose of the, the word of the Lord might be hardening. When Isaiah went out to, to preach his word, God's word, he was told to say to the people, this is the message that God told Isaiah to preach. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and be turned and be healed. In, in other words, right, when God's word went out through Isaiah, its purpose was not salvation. Its purpose was not sanctification. Its purpose was hardening. And God says, it will accomplish all my purpose. And that's what it was there. And, and that's the way the word of God works. It affects different people differently. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 18, Paul said, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. 
But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, that same word of God that goes out to some, it, it, it is folly. And they think it foolish of this dying man upon a cross in our place for our sins. You know, that, that's not the way life works, right? We need to earn and merit everything. That's, that's foolish what you're talking about. But that same message, the word of the cross, to us who are being saved, who know Jesus, it is the power of God. You know, I was just thinking recently, and, and I'm going to ask some of these neighbors here around, around church building sometime when I, I see them next time. I'm going to say, you know, what do you really think about what's going on here at church? Is that we like, we like every week, right? All these cars kind of gather and we come together and we go out like, why would we do that? What, like, what's your perception of that? You know, because they like to snooze on their Sunday morning or they like to do whatever they want. It's another day off. But why do we do that? We do that because of the power of God. We see the word of God and want to encourage us and strengthen us and realize where, where we stand before the Lord. Be reminded again of the word of the cross. And we find it the power. But here it is. That same message preached at the same time in the same place has different results. Some heard the message of Jesus upon the cross and thought it was foolishness in Corinth. And some heard the message upon the cross, exact same message, dying for our sins. And they find it the 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 power of God in their lives. It's exactly as Jesus said it would be. Do you remember the parable of the sower and the seed? I just want to read it for you from Mark. Mark chapter 4, 3 through 8. Jesus said this. And again, it's the, the way in which the word of God works. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. And the other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. Another seed fell into the good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. Now, many of us have heard that parable many times before. Four seeds falling on four different soils. Some soils are hard. The seed can't even penetrate. In fact, the birds come and take it away. Some soils are receptive to the seed, right? Plants begin to grow, but maybe because they don't have depth or because of uh, the presence of weeds, these plants then quickly wither away. But some soils are good. The, the plants grow and grow and grow and begin to multiply, bearing much fruit. And that's the way that, that it works. The disciples were confused with that parable. They asked Jesus to explain it, and he rebuked them. He said, do you not understand this parable? Mark 4.13, how then will you understand all the parables? Like this is the most important parable to understand. Is that the word of God goes out and, and accomplishes different things in different people, depending upon what their soil is like. If you don't understand that parable, of how the word of God works, you won't understand the teaching of Jesus. And Jesus then said this in explaining it, right? The sower sows the word. And when these are along the path where the word is sown... When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that's sown in them. And when the one sown on the rocky ground, the ones, when they hear, it, hear the word, immediately receive with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word. But when the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown in the good soil, the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. The seed's the word of God. And the four soils are four souls. The word falls upon the hard soul, 
can't penetrate. Whatever word came in there is taken away by Satan. Some souls are receptive to the seed. The word of God begins to grow. But because of the, the depth of their soul or because of the, the presence of riches or worries of the world, the word of God withers away in that soul. Some souls are, are good. The word of God grows and grows and begins to multiply, bearing much fruit. This, the, the same seed, the same word of God, having different purposes and working in the lives of different people. And, and that's exactly what we see in our text this morning. We're going to see the word of God rejected by some, others showing interest receptive at first, later rejecting it, but others receiving the word, rejoicing in the gospel and going forth and bearing fruit. My message this morning is entitled The Working of the Word. It's the lens through which we're going to look at our text today because I think it's what the the text is about. It's about how, how God's word, when it's preached, how it works in the lives of people it comes from Acts chapter 13, verses 42 through 52. I encourage you to open your Bibles to, to that point in Scripture if you haven't already. That would be a great time. I encourage you really to follow along because all our thoughts, just all the time, we just kind of come right from the text. So we just listen to what the Bible has for us. The events of our text, of course, take place in Antioch of Pisidia. Paul and Barnabas have arrived there. So they've been traveling on their, their missionary journey. And if you've been here the last several weeks, you've seen this map, which I'm going to just continue to put before you. And, and hopefully week after week, you're going to understand and remember the, the missionary journeys of Paul that, that began in Antioch of Syria. And uh, Paul and Barnabas were sent out by divine um, edict of the Holy Spirit who said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for this missionary journey. Acts chapter 13 and verse 2. And they they took off and they walked down to Seleucia and then they set sail to the island of Cyprus, landing on the east side at Salamis and then heading through the whole island by foot, preaching in all the synagogues at Paphos. And having reached the other side of the island, then they they sailed north up to Perga and Pamphylia, and then they ascended about 3,800 feet, I think, up into the mountains, about 90 miles, up into Antioch of Pisidia, sometimes called Pisidian Antioch, and you can even see that that region up there, it's Pisidia, it's all caps, this is Antioch in Pisidia. And if you recall, Paul and Barnabas entered the synagogue there in Antioch for a, a Sabbath day service. And um, they probably sat someplace in the back. And in the middle of the service, they were given an invitation. Acts 13, 15. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. And so Paul, right there in his seat, preached about Jesus. This was preaching from the pew. The first half of his sermon talked about God and his faithfulness down through the ages to the Israelite people. Though they were faithless, God was, prom- God was faithful to his promise. in bringing up a Savior for Israel, just he promised, Acts 13, verse 23 is the first part. It just says, God's been faithful to Israel to raise up a Savior, Jesus. And then in the second half, he says, Jesus is the one that fulfilled all the Old Testament scriptures about him. Well, there's life, his death, his resurrection. This is all according to plan. And they conclude with a warning to those in the synagogue, exhorting them to believe in verses 40 and 41. And when he finished speaking, he and Barnabas then left the meeting And that's where we pick up our text in verse 42. And I want to read this for you from 42 through 52. And as I read it for you, I want you for you to listen for how the word of God works. So you're going to see it a lot, the working of the word. Look for that theme. That's the theme through which we're going to look at the scripture this morning. Verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas went out, that is, went out of the synagogue, out of the building, 
the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to continue in the grace of God. Pass a week, six days. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews, incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So did you see that phrase, the word of the Lord, here in this passage? I'm not sure you counted them. How many times did it show up? The word of the Lord. Any, where, where do you see it? Let's just, let's just put it out there. Where do you see the word of the Lord? Verse what? Verse 44? So I heard verse 44, right? Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Where else? That's one. 49. Right? The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole district. 48. Right? They, um, they were glorifying the word of the Lord. There's another place in verse 46 where it says the word of God, the same thing. I just, it's, it's, it's the word of God was all about this passage. Right? It, it circles around there. And I just want to see how it is the word of God works. What is it that the word of God produces or brings in the lives of people? My first point here comes in verses 42 through 44. We see how the word brings interest. People are curious about the word. And that's initially when Paul preached to those in Antioch. There was a a great reception among the people. They're interested in hearing what Paul and Barnabas had to say. They, They were like the soils that Jesus talked about. They were receiving the word with joy. Even before they left the synagogue, people were expressing their desires to hear more. Look at verse 42. As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. You know, often when a pastor finishes a sermon, there's kind of like a, a default thing to say to this guy who just spoke. is, Oh, good sermon, pastor. That was really, really nice. Thank you very much. Thank you for your message. When Paul finished speaking, here's what he heard. Come back next week. We want to hear more. Please come back next week. I've never heard that before. <laughs> None of you have never told me that before. That was so good. Why don't you come back next week? I want to hear some more. He's kind of assumed that I'm going to be here next week. That may not be the case. You never know. These weren't just kind words as they were leaving the synagogue. They were earnest. In fact, when they left, they had to track down Paul and Barnabas to see where they were because they they had some questions. They wanted to talk to him about his message. Look at verse 43. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, so apparently Paul and Barnabas left like midway through the meeting or maybe there was a members meeting afterwards or something, but they they left. And then after the, the meeting broke up, those who were at the meeting, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas. 
And this was the interest of those who had attended the worship. There were Jews. These were ethnic Jews who'd, who'd believed in uh, Yahweh, the Lord of the Old Testament. And then there were Gentiles who had converted to Judaism. They'd submitted themselves to circumcision. They had submitted themselves in obedience to the law. And it says here they sought out Paul and Barnabas. Now, we don't know how far Paul and Barnabas went, where they had to track them down, where they were staying, or, or maybe they just stayed in the, in the foyer, in the fellowship room, and kind of after the, the synagogue service, they were able to, to talk with them. Um, but it is, the point is here, they actively followed them after the service. And it's interesting here what Paul and Barnabas spoke to them about. Uh, it, says, it says this, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, Urge them to continue in the grace of God. That is, Paul and Barnabas, right, were urging these people about the grace of God. The grace of God was like the predominant theme that they were, were talking about. And, and, and I think just from his sermon, maybe that comes from verse 38 and 39. The big point of application that Paul made in his message that, that maybe stirred them or, or caused them really to, to think about some things. When he says this, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers... That through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he's talking about forgiveness comes through Jesus, which would have been different, right? It's not the sacrifices that bring you forgiveness. It's through faith in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, there's this freedom. You're no longer under the bondage of the law. And so maybe they were thinking and questioning kind of back and forth. What do you mean by that? And, and Luke just summarizes it for us there is the grace of God. Continue in the grace of God. It's God's grace that saves us. As he would say later in in Ephesians 2, it's by grace that you're saved. It's not through the works of the law that you are saved. There's only one path to freedom. It's not not your works or your your standard of law keeping. It's not perfection according to your, your living according to the law of Moses. It's God's grace that comes to us in Christ. Do you know that grace? It's not about works. It's about what God's grace has come to us. Are you walking in that grace? I mean, right on the outside of our, our wall, right? The, the purpose of Rock Valley Bible Church. Okay, help us out. Help me now, right? The purpose of Rock Valley Bible Church. We exist to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. But we exist so that you all might enjoy His grace, that you all might continue in the grace of God. That's why we preach the cross week after week after week, because that's the message that we hope in. It's Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, and we believe that we're freed from the law. And then we're empowered then to work in a righteous way. And Paul and Barnabas encouraging them to walk in the the ways of grace. And my, my guess here is that the conversation with Paul and Barnabas wasn't just that Saturday afternoon after the service. But it continued through the week as Paul and Barnabas were there in town because they showed up the next week. And right there in the white space between 43 and 44, which we know nothing about, I think that there was a, a lot of talk and a lot of dialogue and a lot of, of conversation about, about these, these matters. Because we see this, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Such was the interest, not only of what took place on that Sabbath day, but, but probably the rumbling and, and hearing and the, the buzz that went around the city, that, that there was this message last Sabbath about this, this man who preached about Jesus and how he's the fulfillment, and he quoted all these passages which, which demonstrated he must rise from the dead. 
and, and it got around that this guy's going to come back again this Sabbath. And, and there was interest in the city, not merely among the, the church folk or the synagogue folk or whatever they're, they're called, but even among the, the whole city. Great interest in everyone coming. Now, we don't know what everyone was, was like whether um, the whole city gathered here were Lord, maybe Antioch was a small village, or maybe this was hyperbole. But, but in any case, right, the synagogue was packed with people. There was SRO, standing room only, in the synagogue. And, and you know, this still happens today, sometimes in foreign lands. I've heard stories of, of missionaries who, who go out to some maybe third world rural places who rarely see Americans and uh, bring a, a DVD and a projector and some kind of uh, way to build a big projection screen. And they show the Jesus film. And uh, I've heard of, of college people even going out, the Campus Crusade for Christ. I think Alyssa did this one time in Burundi, uh, Africa, where they would just travel with all this stuff. And they'd arrive in town and they'd say, hey, we're going to show, once it gets dark enough, we're going to show this, this movie. And they, they put up this big sheet. And so they could shoot this projector. And so you kind of see it even from both sides. You could... You could see this thing as a big white sheet. Um, and when they would talk and when they'd get there, whatever, midday, and say, hey, we're going to show this movie at sunset, we're going to show this movie at sunset, I remember Alyssa saying just how many people would come. Like the, the whole village would gather together to see that. That's just like the interest that, that maybe whole cities have in uh, hearing of the Word of God, hearing something new. Because here is Paul coming in, this message they'd never heard before. There was interest in that. And I just encourage you, like... If you have opportunities to unsaved people, people are interested in the Bible. There is some interest there. Now, it might be a, a bad interest, but the Bible is the most read book in the world. It has shaped our, our civilization, and people are, are often interested in it. If you can make it interesting and, and speak with people about it, like living and active, you know, of, of just how you can read it. I, I was talking to someone recently who said, yeah, I, I know I should read the Bible. And when I encouraged him to read a little bit of it, he... Um, uh, he read part of it. He said, hey, that wasn't so difficult. And I said, no, the, the rest of that book of John is not so difficult either. So why don't you try reading the rest of the book of John? I'm going to see him tomorrow night. I'm going to follow up to see how much he's read. It just takes 10 minutes a day. You could probably read through the book of John in a couple of weeks. But see, there's, there is an interest in, in, in what the what Bible says, what the Word of God says. But anyway, here we've got this packed church here. This packed synagogue, standing room only. And, and, you know, we love that, right? We love it when religious things and Jesus is exalted with standing room only. We, we love those sorts of things. But the Jews, not the case. They did not like this at all, especially with all those Gentiles showing up at their doorsteps. We see that not only does the word bring interest, it also brings opposition. Verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. As Richard Longenecker says in his commentary, their initial interest turned into antagonism, opposition. And it's interesting here to see how exactly their opposition came. The motive of their operation, verse 45, was jealousy. When they saw the crowds, the Jews were filled with, with jealousy. And here is this out-of-town preacher doing what none of their preachers in the synagogues could do in terms of bringing the interest of the, the Word of God to this city that everyone would come and show up. They were jealous. They were jealous of Paul. It's a similar reason why the, the Jews betrayed Jesus. Remember when uh, Pilate was dealing with Jesus and the crowds and they wanted to crucify Him and, and um, Jesus, he, 
Pilate's looking at Jesus and saying, he's not done anything wrong. It, it says in Matthew chapter 27, 18, that Pilate knew that it was because of envy that they delivered him up. That is, there was this jealousy among the religious leaders of the day. Jesus was drawing the interest of so many people and so many people following after him. We got to kill him lest they stop following us. And so likewise, I think also with uh, the Jews seeing these crowds, they were filled with jealousy over Paul because he was this visiting guy. He just visited one week and all of a sudden everybody's come to, to listen to him. But also, it's interesting to see how they put forth their uh, opposition says they contradicted Paul, and they reviled him. Now look at verse 45. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy, and they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. Now, I think when they contradicted Paul, the picture you ought to receive here is not, not like they had a debate where Paul presented his side, and then they calmly had some other side that they presented. They simply were opposed to everything that he said. If Paul said something, they'd say, that's not true, right? They're just, just reviling it. No, Paul, you're wrong. You know, it, it sounds like our contentious political environment today. Often, I'm not sure you know, realize this, but it, it's, it's not the substance of what's said that's important. It's who said it and what side are they on? Because if they're on the other side, they must be wrong. And if they're on our side, they must be right. You know, I've seen some YouTube um, videos of these these kids that go around to college campuses and and they they interview these students and they say well what what do you, what do you think about this here, here let me just read you a quote and they read a quote and then they say well this was said by the the current president what do you think and they say oh that's really good they say well actually that was said by the former president and they go oh or, or the other way around like oh uh, what do you think of this um, this was by the former president oh they hate it actually that was the current president and they go oh uh, it, because it's, it's not what is said, it's all who said it. Who said it? And then here's Paul, right? If, if he said A, the people would say B. No, 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 B is right. If Paul said B, they'd say, no, no, A is right. Just contradicting Paul. And, and, and just know that there are people like that who feel like that way against Christianity as well. Like kind of, they, they're so against Jesus, right? They're, they're so against it. What, whatever you say, they'll just contradict it. Or that's wrong, or they'll, or even maybe they'll attack people, um, like even trying to make you feel silly for what you believe. You really believe that, or, or maybe tell some stories about people who who profess to be religious, but really they were just they were just terrible. So I remember um, talking with someone about Christianity and and and. Uh, he had another friend. He said, yeah, this guy's religious, but he's a jerk, right? Just kind of attacking. It's the man. It's not the message of what he's bringing. And that attack is called an ad hominem attack against the man, against the human, ad hominem. Because that's what they were doing in verse 45. They said they began to contradict what was spoken by Paul. Whatever Paul said, they denied. And they were reviling him. That is, they were speaking against Paul himself, his character, who he was, or what he was was saying or his, his um, personality or his person or where he came from or, or whatever. And that, that takes place oftentimes when you can't handle the content of what's being said. You'll attack the person saying it. And if you attack the person and the person's character, of course, that then denies the argument, they say. So I, I, just, I just tell you this, though. As you stir interest in people in the Word of God and as they oppose it, don't be discouraged because long before they resisted your message... They oppose Paul and his message. 
Well, here we see the word bringing interest. We see the word bringing opposition. And now we come to the greatness of the word of God. The word of God brings salvation. This is verses 46 through 49. It reads this way. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly saying, It was necessary the word of God be spoken first to you, that is the Jews, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole district. There we see the, the working of the word, bringing salvation. This is an illustration of what Paul would later write when he wrote to the Romans. He said in Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And here these people were hearing and they were believing. They were bringing salvation. And these people came to hear the word of the Lord, came to faith. They're saved from their sins. It's the word of God that brings salvation. That's why it's so important, right? To, to know your Bible is to put forth the Bible to other people. It's not the logical arguments of Trying some apologist or what he says or some person's testimony. Yeah, those are all good and wonderful. But it's the word of God that brings salvation. So you need to memorize it. That's why you need to know it. That's why relentless week after week after week after week. I just open up the Bible because that's God's most powerful weapon. If you try to rely on personalities or if you try to rely on, on stories or you try proofs or logical deductions or whatever you try to rely upon... That's just invalidating the word of Christ. It's, it's making it void, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It's the word of God that brings salvation. And right here in Antioch, we see the Gentiles coming to faith in the word of God that was preached to them. And, and, and these words also are an illustration of Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, and perhaps when Paul wrote that to the Romans... He was thinking about this very instance, remembering how he was not ashamed of the gospel. Because if you look here, even in verse 46, Paul and Barnabas were not ashamed. Ashamed brings timidity, but not ashamed brings boldness. And here it is, they spoke out boldly. Um, as it says in, in verse 46, boldly spoke out. You know, they didn't take this opposition lying down. They boldly addressed it. Not ashamed of the gospel. And church family, I just encourage you to don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's powerful. It brings salvation to the lives of those who believe it. But to believe it, they must hear it. And that's why Paul preached. That's why he didn't back down. Because he believed that the, it's the word of God that people need to hear so they can be saved. Furthermore, we see the order of salvation here. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And, and throughout, the, throughout the book of Acts, we're going to see that. It's to the Jews first, and then it's to the Greeks. I mean, it's the Jewish scriptures that, that they came and they proclaimed. They proclaimed the Jewish Messiah. And so as Paul and Barnabas went out, they always went into the synagogue first. If there was a synagogue in the town, they went to the synagogue and they spoke to the Jews. And some Jews believed and some rejected and then they were kicked out of that. And then they went to the Gentiles. And that's exactly what we, we see here when, when Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch, or rather verse 50 says they were kicked out of the city, they're going to go to Iconium. And where are they going to go? 
in Iconium, they're going to go right to the synagogue. Chapter 14, verse 1, at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue. And always, you're going to see that. You see that in, in Thessalonica, in, in Acts chapter 17. They're going to go to the synagogue. Um, you, you see that in Berea. They're going to enter into the synagogue, I believe. Um, you don't see that in Philippi because there was no synagogue there. They just went to the place of prayer. They, they went to where those who, who would have received the Jewish scriptures were first. It's a Jew first and then to the Greek. Now, sadly, these Jews here in Antioch didn't believe. And that's what gave him reason to turn to the Gentiles. That's what he says. Verse 46, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, Jews. But now, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. In other words, he said, the word of the Lord has come to you. It's offering you salvation. But you have taken that word, and by opposing Paul and contradicting Paul and reviling him, he says, you've taken basically the word of God, which Paul spoke. It was the word of God, and they thrust it aside. And God said, thrust it. Paul said, thrusting that aside demonstrates that you are unworthy of eternal life. You're unworthy of eternal life. You take the word of God, you just thrust it aside. He says, we're turning to the Gentiles. And then he says, this is exactly as the Old Testament prophesied, as uh, Darren read for us in Psalm 49, Isaiah 49. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying this, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now, in, in context, Isaiah 49, you can read it or remember what Darren said. It's the, the Lord telling Isaiah the role of the Messiah. He was God's servant to bring Israel back to worshiping the Lord because Israel had, sway, had, had strayed. But also, not only just to Israel to bring them back to the Lord, but also to be a light for all the nations, for all the Gentiles. This was prophesied of the Messiah, that the Messiah might be a light. Not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Matthew four sixteen. it says, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. There was the Messiah coming and, and giving light. And eventually, even that light was to go to the ends of the earth, as Jesus commanded his disciples. Matthew twenty eight nineteen through 20 is to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And with you always, even to the end of the age. And they're to go out to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That was Messiah, bringing salvation. Not only to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. And the Jews hated this message. He said, okay, I'm going to turn to the Gentiles, which is God, what God said. And so he turns to the Gentiles and says, you've got light. The message of salvation is coming to you. So standing room only, right? All these Gentiles were around and says, I'm turning away from the Jews, but now I'm talking to you Gentiles. You who are from the city, you're pagan. You have no reference of God. And you just come to figure out what I'm preaching. I'm preaching salvation to you. It's coming to you in Jesus. And the disciples heard this. The Gentiles heard this, verse 48. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. I love this reaction of spontaneous joy. Just like, like these Gentiles were far off. All of a sudden Paul says, no, 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 you're brought near. You can come in. And they're like, we can go into the synagogue. We can believe in Jesus. We can have our sins forgiven. We can be made right. Yes! We are so excited. This is wonderful. And they began rejoicing spontaneously, glorifying the word of the Lord. For years, they've been outside just looking in. They're merely looking in on the Jews. 
wishing that they could have all that they had. And now they're being told that they're in, in Christ Jesus. The promise is theirs. Everything they long for is now theirs. An unrehearsed reaction, rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And this was all in accordance with God's plan. God used his word to bring about salvation into these people. Look at God's plan, verse 48. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And I think what's important here is to see what the text doesn't say. It doesn't say as many as believed were appointed to eternal life. He said as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That is, the appointing to eternal life came first, and then the belief came second, because God is the one who acts in salvation. You see, God had his people in Antioch who long before had been appointed to eternal life. And the message of salvation came to Antioch. Those who had been appointed believed because they heard the word. As Jesus said it this way, he said, my sheep hear my voice. Jesus didn't say that those who hear my voice are my sheep. He said, no, my voice goes out and uh, my sheep will hear my voice and they will come. That's the way salvation works. When the word of God goes out, God's sheep hear his voice and believe and brings salvation. I just say that should be a great comfort to all of you. So as I, I think about your responsibility, your responsibility isn't to get, give people eternal life. That's, not, that's God's to give. And your responsibility isn't even to get people to believe. It's impossible to persuade people to believe the word of the Lord apart from the Spirit of God working in their lives. It's impossible. Right? I mean, I, I just think about in our political culture, right? One side and the other side. How possible is it to sway people from one side to the other? And all these people put stuff on Facebook trying to persuade people. You're just talking to a bubble. You've you got you to gotta realize that you're not persuading people. It's God who's going to persuade people from one side to the other. It just doesn't work that way. Our responsibility, however, isn't to, to do that. Our responsibility is the message. It's the message we put out. To communicate the words of the Lord. That's our responsibility is to get the message out. And if they are God's sheep, if they've been appointed to eternal life, they will believe. Now, our, our, our difficulty, of course, we don't know who's been appointed. So, I mean, if we knew that, I mean, if we could, the Spurgeon said, right, take up the back of their shirt and be able to see if they've got a big E for the elect on the back of their shirt. We, we can't do that. We don't know. So, as we are witnesses all around, is. Acts is calling us to do. We, we witness, and we pray, and we preach, and we try to persuade. And um, then we pray. We pray for God to open eyes and hearts to believe. Because they'll never believe unless they hear. And they will never hear unless we speak. And just as God uses our voice and our words so that the gospel gets to other people so they believe, so also God uses our prayers and our care and our love in the lives of people, which eventually then bring them to Christ. And our responsibility is merely to love, to beg, and to serve, to plead, and God who is appointed to eternal life will grant the faith right there. And I love how those in, in Antioch then, as they heard this, then went out and speak, spoke. In verse 49 we read, The word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Now, I'm not sure how big that region is. If we go back to our map, we have Antioch there in Pisidia. I'm just, I'm just kind of making say, okay, so that's just one city where they were. But, you know, certainly there are people living in the, 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 the whatever, the, the adjacent lands. 
as they were farming perhaps, or maybe they had a few houses here, or a few family houses here, or maybe there was other small cities here. Next, he's going to go to Iconium, so it spreads out. I don't think it quite reaches Iconium, um, but there they were. That's the region, and from best we can tell, it wasn't Paul and Barnabas who were going out to the region. It, it was those who believed the message, right, who, who were in Antioch as they interacted in the region. You just think about if something happened in Antioch, it would have ripple effects around there. Uh, like suppose there were farmers who farmered and they're bringing their their eggs into town to sell them i mean they were out there and then they bring their eggs in and then they heard from people talking about things of uh you know here this this guy came and preached about jesus as the messiah and, and it was it was spreading it was being embraced or or people maybe go out and they went on their on their milk run i got my milk on my my goats and i'm gonna give it to you and to you and so they went out maybe people were talking about something maybe there's family they had some family celebration they had family a couple miles away and uh, they came into Antioch for some business purposes or whatever. These people who believe were talking and were spreading the message as the word of the Lord was spreading and bringing salvation to many. And in this we can rejoice, but not all were rejoicing, particularly those Jews. Fourthly, we see the word brings persecution. That's what we see in verses 50 and 51. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. This is just a precursor of what's going to happen throughout the rest of the book of Acts. We're going to see this over and over and over again. On the one hand, the word of the Lord was working, bringing salvation as it was spreading, and, and the more it spread, the more people hated it. And, and so they, they stir up persecution against those who are bringing the word. And, and then they, they kick them out. You're no longer welcome here. In our city. Uh, and just, just look over next week. Chapter 14 and verse 2. As Paul and Barnabas are in the synagogue and they're, they're talking and a great number of both Jews and Greeks are believing. But, verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And that says in verse 14, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with Jews and some with the apostles. And But when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe. Here was some persecution that came because they hated the word. They stirred up persecution and were even mistreating them, trying to stone them. And so they, they left. And then they went to Lystra. And uh, at Lystra, there were some issues. Verse 19, after this whole issue with... Um, the people coming and worshiping them as Zeus and Hermes, and we'll read about that in a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to that passage. And some, some people come into faith, and people not at least liking it. Verse 19, some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. I mean, so much was their hatred and persecution against God's word that they came from Iconium. They came from, and they, oh, he's in Lystra now? Let's go to Lystra. And they came, and they stirred up the crowds. They persuaded the crowds. And they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing that he was dead. So they cast him out. And then, in light of that, it makes sense then, as Paul then travels back, when they had preached the gospel at city in Derby, and then made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Right, They're going back the way in which they came. It says they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying... Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. If you're going to be bold, you're, 
if, if you're going to bring the word of the Lord, it will bring persecution. I've been reading through the Bible with some guys, and we just recently read, and I can't remember, it's Jeremiah 28, 29, maybe it's 38, 39, and uh, 36. And Jeremiah is hated. His message comes, and they hate him, and they throw him in a cistern, and they leave him there to die. It's only God's grace. They had several people. I think it was 10 guys it took to bring him out of the cistern so he wouldn't pass away, so he wouldn't die. They hated the message of Jeremiah because he's speaking the truth. And when you bring the word of the Lord, persecution will come. It's interesting, writing much later to, to Timothy, Paul writes this. This is, this is Timothy much later as he reflects upon his own life and ministry. He says in 2 Timothy 3.10, to encourage you, Timothy, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. You've followed all these things, but also you've followed my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. So he's referring back to this very time when he's persecuted at Antioch. And we'll see next time at Lystra. And we'll see at Derby, and Iconium. When these people rose up and says, but, but God is faithful. God, God rescued me. And I, and I just encourage you on this. That any persecution that you receive from people. Say, they mock you or they make you feel bad or make you belittle you. Listen, God is faithful. You've not been stoned yet. Right? You've not suffered, I don't think, any of you to the point of blood. So just press on. God will be faithful. It'll be all right. Paul said even him, like being stoned and left for dead, he was okay because the Lord rescued me. And the promise in 2 Timothy 3, 10, 10, 12 says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There's, there's this way in which the word of God will bring persecution. If you bring the word of God to other people, it will bring persecution. It will bring opposition. It will bring persecution. But know this, it's also going to bring salvation. So I just encourage you in that. And then they were driven out of the district. If you look back here at uh, verse 51, verse 49, verse 50 says they drove them out of the district. Verse 51 shows how Paul and Barnabas responded. They shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And, and this, was, this was merely symbolic, right? It's the, Jesus told the disciples to do this. When they didn't receive you, shake off even the dust of your feet. So I can just picture Paul and Barnabas as they go out of the city. They're, 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 they're going like this. I don't even want to take your dirt on me to the next city. You are so unworthy. You're polluting the land. I'm going to go on. And that's how they responded. That was, a, that was a triumphal response in this symbolic gesture. I don't want any part of you, is what they're saying. I don't even want your dirt. You know, I, I, I do think, I, I brought back these seats from India one time. And these seats are made of, uh, made of like, um, I'm not sure, some straw of some type? I'm not sure what you call that material. Like reeds of some type, and it, it twists around. I wish maybe I should have brought it. And, and it had this old tire around the top, and it sits about this high, and you kind of sit on it. And I remember one of the things I was most proud about that was that it still had Indian dirt in the tire treads. And I said, Look at this, this is authentic Indian. It still's got Indian dirt on it. But what Paul and Barnabas, they said, No, we don't even want your dirt. Well, finally, <clears throat> the word brings joy. Now, this is an assumption. It doesn't explicitly say here the word brings joy, but it says, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So these are the disciples who uh, were in Iconium or the surrounding region where the word of the Lord had spread, and their leader who brought the gospel to them is gone, and now they're probably facing some of the persecution and some of the brunt of things. 
but it says here that they were filled with joy, right? There's, there's great happiness. The same joy in verse 48 that caused the, the Gentiles to rejoice was sustaining joy that continued on. If anything, these uh, disciples were filled with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit, right? God was working in them. And in some regards, it doesn't say that it was the word of the Lord that did that. Um, but in many ways, it was. It was the message of the gospel that brought them that great joy, and it was the Holy Spirit then that, that grew in them, that worked in them, that caused that joy. Remember Jesus, when he spoke about persecutions that would come, he says, um, uh, John 16 and verse 33. I can't quite remember how it begins, once I begin. Here it is. He says, I say these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Right? And that's the message of Jesus, right? I've overcome the world. That the, Even though the persecution, the suffering comes, there is still in Christ, there's the peace and the joy that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God brings forth its fruit in the life of believers to walk in joy amidst hardships. So there's the Word of the Lord. There's the working of the Lord, of the Word. And uh, my hope and my prayer is that we just see that and understand that, understand the parables. The, the Word goes out. Some is going to be hard. Some's going to receive it with joy, and then they're going to turn uh, against you, and then some are going to receive it with joy and um, grow forth 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, just producing fruit in them. And we see that exact same thing here. And I pray that you would have discernment to just see that in your life as the word of the Lord goes out of your mouth to other people, that, that, that some will be hard and some will receive it for time, but they'll be like, ah, that's not for me, or other things are praying. But there's some... It's going to sink in and deep in, and that's where you're going to have the greatest joy when your, your children are walking in the truth, when your disciples are, are walking in the truth. That's where your greatest joy comes from. So let's pray. Oh, Father, I do pray that the, the working of the Word might be evident among us, that we would have eyes to see just how your Word works. I thank you for this testimony as we have spent uh, three, four weeks here just thinking about Antioch. And what took place in Pisidian Antioch of how Paul and Barnabas came and they, they preached this message spontaneously from the pew and, and how it stirred a great interest in the, in the town and in the region. And yet there was opposition, there was persecution. And yet even in light of that, oh God, there was salvation. And, and pray, God, that we would see that that is the power of the Word of God, that it does bring salvation in people's lives. There's no other reason why we are here this morning God, so many of us meeting, meeting week in and week out, but that we have known and tasted the kindness of God through the Word of God and have embraced and trusted in Christ. And that's why we come. And I pray, God, that you would do your work among those who maybe are coming because their parents have said so or coming because they want to fulfill some obligation. We're, we're not fulfilling an obligation, O oh Lord, to you. We're coming because we're desperate. We want to be filled by you and we want to be helped by you. There's a big difference. We're coming here because we're desperate, and this is where you feed us. We're not coming here because we want to measure up to some duty, some church thing that we do. God, and so I pray that we would see the word work in our lives for sanctification, lives of others for salvation, and may we not be discouraged when others are hardened in their sin, even to resist the word of God. We just thank you for how clear your scripture is. May we be encouraged that we just continue and walk our way through the book of Acts. God, such an encouragement it's been to me. May it be an encouragement to all of us in weeks and months and years ahead. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.